0: You're going to love this. Just love it. Yes, you will. Stuck in the middle with you, once again, telling you things that you need to know before anybody else tells them that you need to know them. Yep. From Pacifica Radio's KPFK in Los Angeles, this is The broadcast, as heard on 90.7 FM in LA, 91.7 FM, KYAQ on the beautiful Oregon Central Coast. On the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, Radio or Not, Radio Free Brooklyn, and of course, on Radio Sputnik, five days a week, this is your Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow from bradblog.com, says me if not you welcome to the broadcast Bradca- broadcast what is it i don't even know anymore uh we, we got a, another big show for you today uh, montana's speaking of things that you will learn on this program before you learn them anywhere else uh, montana's long fight for control of their own elections When it comes to financing those elections, we'll be talking about that in a bit. Specifically, their effort to keep big corporate money out of elections. They have, uh, up in Montana, and I know a lot of people don't talk about what goes on in Montana, but we do. We've been actually uh, reporting on it at bradblog.com for years. Uh, They have successfully, for 100 years, 100 years since passing their Corrupt Practices Act of 1912, they had been able to keep big corporate money out of elections. At least they were right up until all of that was undone by the US Supreme Court following the Citizens United decision. They basically said Montana can't put those kind of restrictions on corporate spending cuz, you know, free speech. Now Montana had put those uh that that uh, corrupt practices act of 1912 in place after a series of scandals involving Mining companies. Sound familiar? Back in uh, the early part of the uh, 20th century, where basically these mining companies had taken over the legislature uh, up there in Montana. And uh, the people had enough of it. They put their own law in place. That law put them in good stead for many, many years until the Supreme Court said, nope, sorry, I know we like to pretend to be about states' rights, Small government, but no, we're not going to let you guys uh, uh, decide how your own elections will be carried out. you got to let some more corporate money into those elections. It's just too clean up there in Montana. Well, that may be about to get much, much worse, not just in Montana, where uh, caps on donations are still allowed. So you can only give X number of dollars. Each person can only give X number of dollars to a candidate. Uh, Those caps... Uh, are being challenged now in federal court, and they may come off. And if they come off, they will. Uh, it, the battle is likely to go all the way to the Supreme Court. You know what happens when we get to the Supreme Court. And they are likely to remove the caps on uh, how much you can donate to a candidate, not just in Montana, but everywhere in the country. Because remember, free speech. Montana's very powerful commissioner of political practices, John Motel, will be joining us to discuss his state's fight right now in federal court to keep corruption out of Montana politics and keep those caps on the amount that any one person can spend to buy. I'm sorry, I mean to support a political candidate uh this is uh you know you've got uh, got a lot of money well you got a lot of free speech that includes you yes even you fictional entities like walmart monsanto exxon Mobil, shell oil uh you get a whole hell of a lot more free speech than i do because you got more money and the supreme court thinks you're a person and the supreme court thinks that you can go into montana and buy their elections apparently uh, but uh, that's going to get worse. Everywhere. Anyway, we'll talk to uh, John Model about that in a little bit. Looking forward to that conversation. Also, Desi Doyen will be joining us with the Green News Report a little bit later. A very busy Green News Report today, I should add, with just horrific, extreme weather. Uh, I, not just in uh, Texas and Oklahoma, where we've got these deadly floods, but out in, in uh, India, where... More than a 1,000 people have been killed in just the past few days due to the latest heat wave out there. Plus, we'll talk about a new rule by that tyrant Obama who wants to keep pollutants out of water, socialist commie. Predictably, Republicans are going nuts about that. Thank God. Thank God they're standing up for pollution in our drinking water. Uh, I, I read a statement yesterday. Uh, from John Boehner about this about this new rule, uh, Boehner actually called it tyranny. He said he called it a, a raw and tyrannical power grab that will crush jobs, and uh, yeah, and will uh, also offer clean drinking water to citizens. But you know, never mind that. Uh, we'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, Dr. Tucker, our friend, uh, Washington Monthly blogger and uh, far too occasional guest blogger at Brad Blog, uh, he sent me a he sent a note uh, this week. We we had talked earlier in the week about those floods in Texas, uh, those horrible uh, floods, deadly floods in Texas and Oklahoma. And uh, he said, uh, Rachel Maddow actually covered it on the same day we, I think it was earlier, uh, Tuesday, right after uh, coming back from the uh, Memorial Day break. Uh, Rachel Maddow also covered those floods that same day and posted uh, her coverage of the story up on uh, on MSNBC. And D.R. Tucker brought our attention to this comment that was posted to it. Uh, Desi, did you see? Have you seen this comment? No, I didn't. What's that? From some guy named Eric K. And
1: this is on the MSNBC video,
0: MSNBC website, uh, Maddow's coverage of the Texas floods. Yeah. So uh, this guy says uh, Rachel Maddow doesn't have the guts or the character to tell us the truth. This is an artificial storm created by Jade Helm 15.
1: What? I don't even understand that. They
0: laughed at us, says Eric Kay, when we raised the alarm about Jade Helm 15. But we said the state of Texas would be attacked by the U.S. military this summer. And now here we are.
1: I don't think I understand. You don't.
0: Well, that's because you don't speak Alex Jones, Desi Doyen. This is true. Uh, this is all about the uh, federal government's plan to take over Texas. They're pretending it's just military exercises down in Texas. But in reality... They're planning to take over the state on behalf of the federal government, and what they're doing now is they're putting a, a, a pretend disaster in place to give them justification to go in there and take over the state. Don't you understand these things, Desi? I can't believe that you don't. It's so obvious. It's so clear, sheeple. How can you not (laughs) see what's going on before your very eyes? So my advice to you, get over to Alex Jones and and listen. And not just listen to what he has to say, but buy all the stuff that he has to sell, because that is the only way you're going to save yourself if you're down there in Texas. you got to buy those survival seeds, gold, ammo.
1: Does he have tyranny repellent?
0: tyranny repellent he should if he doesn't he will he will now well done well said uh so that you've been warned laugh all you want but uh eric oh, at uh nbc uh tells us the truth about what's going on it's coming get ready uh okay uh nebraska does it again uh, this is fantastic uh we we spoke was it yesterday about the death penalty yeah i think it was um the um well earlier this year nebraska rejected uh the state legislature rejected a, a bill for photo ID restrictions on voting and this was uh, they did it with a veto proof majority and this is in a very republican state in nebraska the legislature itself is also very republican it's about 2 to 1 republican to democrat but it's a unicameral body, as they and I, I. Boy, I wish everyone in the country would look at what's going on in Nebraska, because it's a unicameral body, meaning they have just one house, just a Senate. Uh, so it doesn't legislation doesn't have to get uh, you know through two different uh, two different bodies. There only has to get through one. It does have to be signed by the governor, but in this particular uh, body, they're not organized on a partisan basis. They are organized geographically, which means. They seem to be able to avoid all of these stupid partisan fights that happen everywhere else in the country. And so they were able to uh, reject a photo ID restriction. They were able to uh, reject a a gas tax uh, veto on a gas tax, I should say, by the Republican governor recently. They needed to improve their roads and bridges, and so they passed a gas tax. And the Republican governor vetoed it, but they were able to override it. So uh, yesterday the, they were able to uh, ban the death penalty, despite the promised veto that did come from the Republican governor who insists that on, uh, you know, who, who believes in small government that kills their own citizens. Uh, but fortunately, common sense prevailed in the uh, in the Nebraska state Senate. And we had talked about this after uh, uh, the the Senate had passed this bill banning the death penalty up there. Thank you very much, Nebraska. We had on uh, State Senator Al Davis, who is a Republican. And I asked him at the time, I I gave him a lot of, uh, you know, kudos for the way that body is acting. And I asked him, oh, are there any other surprises in store in the days ahead that may come out of the... Republican majority Senate up there in Nebraska, any other, you know, progressive ideas uh, that that they may have in mind that uh, like these other like the photo ID and like the uh, death penalty that may shock the rest of the nation. Uh, Here here was my uh, question to Republican state senator. Of Nebraska, Al Davis. Uh, are there any other surprises in store uh, that'll be coming out of Nebraska that, that may uh, shock the rest of the country the way uh, these uh, the death penalty decision and the photo ID decision uh, have seemed to rock the nation?
2: Well, l- let me talk about a, c- a couple of things. One of them is a minor issue probably, but we the governor vetoed the gas tax here in Nebraska, which came up a week ago, and the body overrode the governor on that. Um, again, I did it because I thought it was the, f- the smart. Thing to do, we need to keep our roads up, and we haven't got the revenue that we used to have. But probably the bill that is more unusual that you might be most surprised about is driver's licenses for the children of the the dreamers. Mm -hmm. So Nebraska was the only state our last governor refused to give them driver's licenses, and the bill was introduced this year to do that in the legislature. And the current governor doesn't like the the bill either. But um, that bill has continued to gain a momentum, and we put it on, it it passed final reading today. The last time it was up, I believe there were 39 people or 40 voting for that bill. So we are giving our illegal alien, those children that Mm -hmm. came here with their parents, driver's licenses. Now, the reason that's unusual, if people want to talk about Nebraska being a conservative state, but we had the business community firmly behind that, the Chambers of Commerce, the Nebraska Cattlemen, a great many social organizations, so it was a very united group of people that supported that position because, you know, the argument again here is people have been in our schools, we've educated them now, if we're not going to let them drive in our state, they're going to take their education and go somewhere else and work and pay taxes in another state. We need the revenue and we need we need the employees because the unemployment rate in Nebraska is you know, about 2%. It's just an unbelievably low rate right now.
0: What? What? common sense prevailed in Nebraska. Well, apparently it did. Uh, on Thursday, the Nebraska State Senate voted 34 to 10 to overturn Governor Pete Ricketts' veto of that uh, of that bill that allows immigrants brought to the country illegally as children to get driver's licenses. Originally, that bill had passed the Senate by a thirty-four to nine margin, and uh, thirty-four to ten was uh, the overturn of that veto. Four more votes than were needed to override it. The death penalty, by the way, when the uh, when they overri- overrid overrode that uh, uh, governor's veto on the uh, banning the death penalty, it only passed by thirty votes. It was a nail biter at the very last second. They didn't know if they were going to have enough votes to do it, but they did it. And now they've uh, they've done something else up there in Nebraska. Before the uh, bill to uh, allow licenses to uh, so-called Dreamers, Governor Pete Ricketts, the Republican governor, said that he didn't, quote, believe in giving benefits to people who came here illegally. Now, what he means by came here illegally was, oh, you know, when they were two years old and they were brought here by their parents who may have come here illegally— they should still be punished, even though it's ten, fifteen, twenty years later. They're you know thirty-year-olds who are not allowed to drive in Nebraska. Not legally, they're probably driving anyway, but are not allowed to drive in Nebraska because the Nebraska uh, state legislature, at some point some years ago, uh, banned their ability to get a license. That has now changed. Uh, DACA which is the uh, presidential's, uh, President Obama's executive action from 2012, gave immigrants brought here as children a two-year work permit and protection from deportation and the opportunity to get a Social Security number, driver's licenses, and so forth so they could participate in our society. A few states initially announced they would deny licenses to people who qualified for DACA, but only Arizona and Nebraska adopted laws barring That from happening, a court blocked Arizona's law in July, leaving in place only Nebraska until today. Senators who supported the bill argued that the youth are active contributors to the state's economy and should not be penalized for their parents' actions. Of course, you would have known that was coming had you been listening to the broadcast, what, a week or two ago when we had on uh, State Senator Al Davis? And uh, speaking of what you will learn before everyone else, uh, stay tuned. We're going to take a quick break and come back with John Motel, the commissioner. How How do you say it here? Commissioner of political practices in the state of Montana, trying to ward off what would be disastrous news for the entire country If the spending limits on uh, for donations on politicians are lifted, as some are fighting for in Montana and as may make its way to the U.S. Supreme Court. Quick break. We're going to come back with that and much more on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Stay tuned. (laughs) Yeah, you got that right. Oh, brother, here we go again, maybe. Uh, boy. All right, welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. Yes, uh, here we go again. Another court case that may make its way up to the U.S. Supreme Court that could further wipe out campaign finance lim- limits in this country. And it's a case that you probably haven't heard about at all. But first, this week the Supreme Court has decided they will take on a case that questions the one-person, one-vote concept. Josh Marshall at Talking Points Memo wrote uh, uh, this week that, quote, "...it is increasingly difficult to find any unifying theory or rationale behind the Supreme Court's election and election financing decisions other than the goal of securing the electoral interests of the Republican Party." That sounds harsh, writes Marshall, but a simple process of elimination leaves little other conclusion. States' rights, originalism, deference to legislatures, various constructions of democratic theory, and a lot else are controlling, except when they're not controlling, he writes. Most of the decisions line up with the conservative jurisprudence espoused by the court's conservative semi-majority, except when they don't. Cases are plucked out of the lower courts long before the high court has any obligation or need to intervene. The new case, which will review the one person, one vote rule, which has been reigning law for half a century, would likely diminish the voting powers of cities versus rural areas, minorities versus whites and Democrats versus Republicans if decided on behalf of the plaintiffs. In other words, why not? This is a big deal, writes Josh Marshall, and we will talk about that case uh, in the coming days, no doubt. But he's absolutely right as far as the Supreme Court sort of plucking cases out of nowhere. Uh, they sort of did that with the Citizens United case. They, they sent the plaintiffs away and said, hey, come back and, and argue it this way. Argue it concerning uh, uh, you know the amount of money corporations can give to political campaigns and political action committees and so forth. Well, after that infamous Citizens United decision uh, that I'm sure our uh, listeners know well, uh, the next uh, thing to fall, really, was Montana's Corrupt Practices Act of 1912. At least that was one of the state uh, laws that fell in light of Citizens United. Now, back in 2012, at Bradblog, our legal analyst Ernie Canning wrote about the case he wrote, this week the Montana Supreme Court stood up to the U.S. Supreme Court's Citizens United decision, rejecting the much-criticized 2010 federal decision by declaring that, in their state at least, a century-old prohibition on corporate money in local politics will be allowed to stand. That was the state Supreme Court by way of a 5-2 to two decision. And it upheld the constitutionality of the long-standing Corrupt Practices Act of 1912 in Montana, which prevented direct contributions by corporations to candidates or political committees. One of the very interesting uh, points in that uh, state Supreme Court decision was that one of the dissenters in the case who said, well, no, this law shouldn't stand, was Justice James C. Nelson. Now, he said it shouldn't stand, uh, not because he didn't like the law or think that it was unconstitutional uh, in, in the state, but rather Citizens United, he said, barred this type of law. His scathing dissent about Citizens United and the idea that corporations are people was remarkable. We quoted it at the time. Let me just read you a piece of this because it it was remarkable. Um, he wrote... While I recognize that this doctrine is firmly entrenched in the law, he's talking about the idea of corporations as persons, I find the entire concept offensive. Corporations are artificial creatures of law. As such, they should enjoy only those powers, not constitutional rights, but legislatively conferred powers, that are concomitant with their legitimate function, that being limited liability investment vehicles for business. Corporations are not persons, he wrote. Human beings are persons. And it is an affront to the inviolable dignity of our species that courts have created a legal fiction which forces people, human beings, to share fundamental natural rights with soulless creations of government. Worse still, he wrote... While corporations and human beings share many of the same rights under the law, they clearly are not bound equally to the same codes of good conduct, decency, and morality. And they are not held equally accountable for their sins. Indeed, it is truly ironic that the death penalty and hell are reserved only to natural persons. And that was the guy, uh, Justice uh, James C. Nelson, on the Montana Supreme Court, uh, who, who, was, uh, who felt that, uh, that the uh, Corrupt Practices Act of 1912 should be shut down because of the Citizens United decision made by the Supreme Court. He wasn't happy about it, clearly, uh, but he felt it should be uh, shut down. The Montana Supreme Court upheld the law, but sure enough, a few months later, the Supreme Court jumped in and found that longstanding law, 100-year-old law, to be unconstitutional. Then the Supreme Court determined uh, in another case, McCutcheon, that folks could give as much money as they wanted. Well, I should say should, could give it to as many candidates as they wanted uh, around the country, as long as they met the uh, the caps that were put in place as far as the amount of money. Uh, we're talking about direct campaign contributions, all of which now finally brings us back to Montana where a, uh, a decision by an appeals court this week said that states may cap political donor campaign contributions, but only if they can show that those limits are preventing corruption or the appearance of corruption. The ruling by a three-judge panel uh, from the 9th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals In a Montana case, could make it more difficult for states to defend their restrictions on the amount of money that individual donors give directly to candidates in state elections. Before Citizens United, states only had to show that they aimed to curb influence of big money on politicians, but after Citizens United... States must now show more specifically that their laws are stopping an exchange of money for political favors. Now the prevention of quid pro quo corruption or its appearance is the only sufficiently important state interest to justify limits on campaign contributions, wrote Judge Carlos Bay in this, uh, in this case that essentially sends the law, if I understand it, back to Montana uh, to be decided again there i'm quite worried about this case that the supreme court may pluck it out that this may end up striking down montana's caps and they've got some pretty conservative caps you you can only give 170 dollars to legislative candidates 320 dollars to the attorney general this case may end up doing away with those caps entirely uh and if so i'm worried the supreme court will then uh, pick up this case and it could apply everywhere and caps Spending limits on uh, directly on, comp- on uh, campaigns could go away entirely. Here to talk about this is Jonathan Motel, Montana's new—and I put new uh, in quotes here—new uh, commissioner of political practices. I'll explain why in a second. According to an AP report, uh, he says his job is to ensure Montana's political discourse is robust yet fair and that when people or groups spend money to influence the outcome of an election, the source of that money is disclosed. He is, however, the fourth person to hold this the uh, commissioner's job in the past two and a half years. Uh, in, uh, in 2011, Montana's Republican Majority Senate refused to confirm then-Democratic Governor Brian Schweitzer's appointment to the post. In 2012, the second commissioner uh, of four was accused of working on cases for his private practice while logging public hours. He ended up resigning. The next appointee retired before a confirmation hearing could be held, and now, well... It's John Motel's turn as he was appointed by the state's new Democratic governor, Steve Bullock, and finally confirmed by the state Senate in January of this year. Uh, John Motel, commissioner of political practices in Montana, joins us now to discuss this fine mess. Commissioner Motel, welcome to the broadcast, sir.
3: I'm I'm very glad to be here, and good day to your listeners. Uh,
0: Thank you very much. And uh, I hope, uh, was there any uh, huge point that I got wrong on that background, as far as you know, leading up to this, before we get into the details of this uh, particular case concerning the Corrupt Practices Act of 1912 in Montana?
3: Well, so (laughs) this, of course, is nuanced stuff, but in Montana... A corporation is still prohibited from making a direct contribution to a candidate. What was overturned in the, the application of Citizens United mm-hmm. to Montana's corrupt Practices Act was the prohibition on corporate independent expenditures. So now in Montana, corporations, whether profit or non-profit, mm-hmm. can spend whatever they want as independent expenditures on a candidate or ballot issue. Um, That wasn't the case before Citizens United. That was prohibited as well.
0: And that was something, that law in Montana, uh, it it, it was not a particularly controversial law, was it, over the past 100 years? This is something that Republicans and Democrats alike, uh, in Montana at least, uh, Um, generally
3: supported? In Montana, campaign practice laws um, and... What Montanans would like to see is, is a more level, a more equal participation. And as late as, 19, as 2012, mm-hmm. after Citizens United, they passed another initiative stating just that. It's now in Montana statutory law. So, no, I, I, um, my, Montanans do not like to see the sort of restrictions that were imposed by Citizens United.
0: And that came about, that corrupt Practices Act of 1912, That came about when, what was it, mining interests sort of uh, uh, bought off the state legislature in a horrible scandal back in 1912?
3: There were several, and that was one of them. That's correct.
0: Uh, Okay, so my understanding is uh, that you were confirmed as Commissioner of Political Practices in January of 2015, but one of the articles about you said it referred to since taking office in June 2013. So could you clarify uh, that uh, seeming contradiction before we go into the details here?
3: Well, Montana has had 11 appointed commissioners. Upon appointment by the governor, the commissioner has a full authority of the office. Mm-hmm. Of those eleven, only eight have been confirmed by the Montana Senate. I was confirmed, but I was confirmed in late May of 2015. So, mm. so I've only been confirmed a couple weeks.
0: Okay, and uh, but but you had been serving. You're able to go ahead and serve even before being con- uh, confirmed, yeah, correct? There
3: there is no difference in authority between appointment and confirmation, but the appointment. Terminates at the end of the next legislative session. Yeah. So, unless you're confirmed by the Senate mm-hmm. of the Montana Legislature, your appointment terminates and a new commissioner has to be appointed.
0: I got you. Okay. So, now what exactly is the job of Commissioner of Political Practices in Montana and how can we get one of those in every state in the union, Jonathan Motel?
3: Well, uh, it is the only commissioner of political practices that I know of in the United States. The rest of them are commissions of political practices. Mm-hmm. And and so the benefit of having a commissioner is that is that the office can move quickly um, and also very, very efficiently because decisions can, can issue, even though, the decisions that come out of this office are vetted by multiple people. They're still issued by one person. So you don't get that partisan lockup that you see with the Federal Election Commission, where you get an equal number of Republicans and Democrats, and the Republicans vote one way, the Democrats vote the other, and nothing happens. Right. The Commissioner of Political Practices in the state of Montana serves the people of Montana, is ultimately responsible to and obligated to the people of Montana, and therefore can act on... On that sort of deep um, uh, feeling that a lot of people have in the United States, and particularly in Montana, that they want fair elections.
0: It it seems like a very powerful office in that regard. In that one person, you have the commission uh, uh, commissioner of political practices has prosecutorial power in Montana. Correct?
3: Prosecutorial and adjudicatory, and pro- prosecutorial usually implies criminal. In adjudicatory um, implies civil. So the commissioner can litigate against people who violate the Campaign Practice Act, either criminally or civilly. Right now we have nine civil litigations going.
0: And uh, from all reports that I've read in in looking into your background, uh, uh, Commissioner, it looks like uh, you've gone against Republicans and Democrats alike. It it looks like... uh, Uh, You've gotten support. Obviously, you've been confirmed by the uh, by the state legislature out there. So that now brings us to this case uh, that was uh, uh, sent back from the uh, Ninth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals, sent back to the U.S. District uh, Court in Montana, as I understand it. Can you explain what this case is? Because this is one of those cases, uh, uh, Commissioner, that I'm quite concerned is going to be picked up by the Supreme Court and set a precedent across the country so before we get into the status of that case what's the background of this case and 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 then we can talk about where it is at this moment
3: well late in the last two weeks of the 2012 election cycle a federal district court judge in montana issued an injunction um, finding all of our contribution limits unconstitutional that decision remained in effect for about six days then the Ninth Circuit lifted the, the stay, lifted the injunction, and restored Montana's contribution limits pending its decision. Um, mm-hmm. it, it created a mess for several candidates who went out and solicited contributions in excess of our contribution limits during those six days. But that aside, the Ninth Circuit now has said that the federal court's decision Finding our statute unconstitutional is is void, is revoked, is of no authority, and it has sent the case back to the federal court under some specific directions to make a new decision.
0: So essentially they're going to have to re, uh, retry the case uh, back at the U.S. district court level?
3: Yes, it will need to be retried because the law that Mm -hmm. the Ninth Circuit determined should be applied was not the law that the district court applied when it made its original decision. So it will need to be retried.
0: And now we're looking at uh, state uh, campaign limits that had been set, and this is money that goes directly to candidates. For example, I mentioned uh, a limit of $170 for a legislative candidate, $650 uh, for uh, gubernatorial candidates. Um, those are the limits that are in question now. Should they be lifted entirely, and can it be proven that uh, uh, th- th- there, there's a need for those limits? In other words, uh, if, if the plaintiffs here—and I guess you're the plaintiff, right? or, or no, you're, you're defending this law in this case, correct? That's correct. So uh, plaintiffs are arguing that they should be able to give more, that it won't lead to any corruption— Uh, And uh, as you said, in those six days when the when the case went one way and went the other, for example, uh, the Montana Republican Party suddenly gave uh, half a million dollars to former U.S. Congressman Rick Hill's gubernatorial campaign, thirty two thousand dollars to another fellow's campaign for attorney general. That fellow gave back the thirty two thousand dollars. But the uh, former Congressman Rick Hill hung on to that half a million dollars. That flowed into him in just six days. So now the question is, will these uh, limits be allowed to stand, or will we see campaigns in Montana that receive, for example, a single donation of half a million dollars, correct?
3: Well, the the, the half a million dollars one is, is on an island by itself, because when the Ninth Circuit restored Montana's laws, that meant that that half a million dollars is accepted in excess of contribution limits. So Mr. Hill is going to have to to, to deal with the consequence of the risk he took
2: mm-hmm.
3: by by taking that money. So that's separate. But going forward, what's of interest to Montanans, and probably the, y- 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 your, your listeners, is what's going to happen to our existing limits. And I might add that our existing limits were set by the people of Montana in a 1994 initiative vote. And... they've been raised by inflation since then, and you were correct in the amounts that you listed. Now, in some ways, I I don't mean to be overly simplistic, but what Citizens United said is that if money is speech, that goes all the way back to Buckley v. Vallejo, Mm -hmm. then we're going to say that maximum speech, that is the most money you can spend, has the same sort of, in some ways, constitutional protection that... Any speech does. Right. And so here we are in Montana, where we've consistent with the long standing wishes of Montanans, we have set limits at what Montanans consider to be the upper limit of reach of an average Montanan. So that's where our standards are. Now, is that constitutional? It has to fit the quid pro quo corruption or the appearance thereof standard that's what the ninth circuit said that's what we're going to go back down now and actually present evidence before the trial judge i believe we can present evidence showing that those limits meet that standard and will be preserved
0: meaning uh you will have to show that if more money is allowed to be given to candidates it will lead to corruption is that what you would have to to, to do no
3: What what we have to show is is that single sources of money, Mm -hmm. if allowed to give in excess, lead to corruption. And that is exactly what happened in Montana in 8, 10, and 12, when we had groups that were making self-determined issue advocacy expenditures that that were really express advocacy expenditures. It's it's created... um, a tremendous amount of um, of of tension, chaos, and charges of illegal activity in election campaigns, particularly in 2010.
0: C- Commissioner, am, am, am I nuts here? Uh, and, well, I might be nuts anyway, but am I nuts here when I look at this decision, the effect that it has on places like Montana who would like to self-determine, uh, you know, the, the, the means and manner of their elections as you know, granted by the U.S. Constitution that right. Uh, the Supreme Court coming in, uh, putting these rules on you guys, doesn't that violate the the idea of really states' rights that they seem to support in other cases? I mean, there seems to be a huge contradiction here.
3: Well, it is a contradiction. There is no doubt that um, that it forces us to defend uh, decisions, to contribution limits that were in place by direct vote of Montanans that have the current support as shown by a 2012 vote of Montanans. And we have to defend it by a standard that is imposed on us by the U.S. Supreme Court. But they are the law of the land. And the state of Montana is, is a you know, is a republic within the United States. Mm-hmm. It's a state within the United States. We have to live with what the Supreme Court says, even though it definitely um, it definitely goes contrary to what the people of Montana want. Uh,
0: you, you, uh, yeah, I know, and that that's what I'm concerned about. Uh, you, you uh, tell AP after this decision, uh, sending the the case for now back to the uh, district court in Montana uh, that you are firmly confident that the contribution limits that exist now will be sustained. Uh, why are you so confident, Commissioner?
3: Be- because Montana is going through a period of time of the greatest political scandal that it, it is engaged in, all directly related to money, that it has seen since 1912 when it passed the original Corrupt Practices Act. Um, to the extent that we can put that scandal before the court, um, and to the extent that it fits within this presently undefined quid pro quo yeah. definition, we will be able to show facts um, that might not be able to be shown in other places. So you,
0: so, could, you can actually show how the money uh, does corrupt in a, in a quid pro quo right, scandal, you feel? Right,
3: right. And, we understand we're standing in for a lot of people. It isn't just Montana right. that want our contribution limits to be preserved, but we understand that there are people elsewhere who would like them to be preserved and we fully understand we're standing in yes. on behalf of the average person. We're not standing here on behalf of uh, this, of the large funded interests and we're willing to take that burden on and if there's justice, we'll, we, we will prevail.
0: So you feel, uh, as, as I do, that this could well serve as a precedent to lift spending caps entirely uh, in states across the country if things don't go well in this particular Montana case?
3: Well, well, not entirely, because um, the Supreme Court has indicated that it, a certain level of limitation on the volume of speech would be tolerated. They just haven't said uh, what discretion states have in setting that level. And um, because we're one of the lower limits in the United States, we're going to have to we're going to have to protect our discretion with the showing of quid pro quo corruption or the appearance thereof, and that's what we're going to be prepared to do when, this thing goes to
0: trial boy this is a, a disturbing case because i fear where this is headed uh at least given uh, what what this particular supreme court has done over the past several years when it comes to election finance it looks like they really want to pretty much get rid of all limits pull out all the stops everywhere that's a a very serious concern i have uh Uh, Commissioner Jonathan Modell, uh, great talking to you about this. Uh, Good luck on this case as it comes back to the U.S. District Court. And uh, I I hope you don't mind. We may be checking in from time to time as this case moves forward with you, because uh, uh, I I, I see this one as having a huge effect, and people don't usually notice these cases until it's, uh, frankly, too late and all the way up at the Supreme Court and can't do anything about it at that point.
3: Well, and... Thank you, and good day to your, to your listeners, and anybody who's interested in politics and involved is great, because I think it improves governance when people are involved.
0: Thank you, Commissioner Jonathan Motel, Commissioner of Political Practices in the Great State of Montana. Thank you, sir. Bye. Boy, I'll tell you, I'm uh, I'm really uh, concerned about that case. I'm glad to hear that he's confident that they can show that those, uh, those campaign uh, contribution limits can stand, I hope he's right. I hope I'm wrong, because uh, if not as bad as things have gotten in this country when it comes to campaign finance uh, reform uh, and limits, I think it's about to get a whole, whole, whole lot worse. If this case gets to the Supreme Court and if uh, this current court uh, is seated, this Supreme Court is seated when it does. All right. Quick break here. Much more broadcast straight ahead. I'm Brad Friedman. Brother, please stay tuned. Mm. That can only mean one thing
1: <laughs>
0: melting for Desi Doyen and the Green News Report.
1: Lots to talk about yeah, this week. Yeah,
0: roads are literally melting in uh, in India. A very, very busy green news report coming up in just one moment. And But before we get to that, Des, you had a, a story about the Saudi oil oil minister was this? Yeah, this, was this was is really an amazing. Oh, welcome back. This is your broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Oh, yeah. Okay, go ahead.
1: Okay, so yeah, this is an amazing I Thought story uh, printed up by the Financial Times that the Saudi Arabia oil minister said last week that Saudi Arabia, which, remember, is the world's largest crude exporter, he said Saudi Arabia... After us.
0: Aren't we the largest? We're the no. largest producer, just yeah, not but, the largest. Well, yeah,
1: but the, everybody knows that Saudi Arabia really is the one that's sitting on the most proven reserves, and they are the world's largest crude exporter.
0: Yeah, but it should be said that USA is now under Barack Obama and his war on fossil fuels. We have become the world's number one producer of... Right. fossil fuels so okay anyway, go ahead. anyway yes. so go
1: so this is remarkable the Saudi Arabia oil minister said Saudi Arabia could phase out the use of fossil fuels by 2050 and it's a what they call a stunning admission by a nation whose wealth power and outsized influence in the world are predicated on the vast reserves of crude oil now his comments uh, he was telling a conference in Paris on business and climate change that Saudi Arabia recognizes that eventually one of these days we're not going to Need fossil fuels, and that's when he said 2040 or 2050. So he says that Saudi Arabia plans to become, quote, a global power in solar and wind energy and will focus on exporting electricity instead of fossil fuels. They got lots of sun, so it kind of does make sense.
0: That's uh, amazing. It's even amazing that that, just that they're talking about it, just that they're saying it out loud. You know, you would not hear that from the uh, U.S. energy producers Uh, and to hear it from Saudi Arabia that we may be phasing out fossil fuels entirely in, in uh what 2040 2050? So 2050, twenty forty or twenty fifty. So twenty forty or twenty fifty, yeah. Twenty thirty years. That is A very good news and B absolutely shocking.
1: And what's interesting also about this, a lot of oil analysts say that Saudi Arabia, by refusing to increase production, I mean, to, to, sorry, to decrease production to raise oil prices, mm-hmm. what they're basically saying is, yeah, fine, we'll keep prices low to ensure that when it comes to people not buying oil anymore, the last oil they'll buy is ours
0: amazing yeah they're they're gonna hang we'll see if that really comes to pass and they will have reserves for many many years and so we uh still may be buying saudi arabian oil for many many years but just the fact that they're talking about it I, i think is amazing particularly in light of everything that's been going on for the past week across this globe thanks in no small part to fossil fuels which sadly uh, plays a big part in this week's Green News Report. Let's kick it.
1: This area picks up about 2 to 4 inches of rain for the entire month of May on average. And we have already seen nearly 20 inches. Deadly record deluges in Texas and Oklahoma. Temperatures are soaring in some places touching 118 degrees Fahrenheit. Deadly record heat in India. There's going to be a lot of fire starting. Heat-driven wildfires in Canada shut down tar sands oil production. Plus... President Obama moves to limit pollution in the nation's drinking water.
0: Outrageous. All of those stories and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. Some rivers are rising at rates of like 20 feet in one hour. Other than that, global warming's nothing to worry about. Am I right, Texas and Oklahoma? This is your... Green News Report.
1: I'm gonna
0: soak up the sun. Okay, Desi Doyen, we got a lot to catch up on this week. So, even though we've got several new Republican 2016 candidates jumping into the race, we will wait until next week to give their positions on global warming, since we're trying to keep track of all of the candidates. People will just have to imagine, until then what those Republican positions on global warming might be.
1: Yeah, that'll be just a big guess right there.
0: Actually, there is a bit of nuance in this new set of candidates, but we'll get to that next week. What do you have for us today?
1: Well, first, extreme weather is raging even more extremely around the world. Record-breaking rainstorms caused record flash floods in Texas and Oklahoma over the last week, killing at least 17 people so far, many still missing. States of emergency have been declared for over 90 counties, counties in Oklahoma and Texas to release federal disaster relief funding. Texas Governor Greg Abbott said the breadth of the damage was unprecedented.
0: Moments ago, I had the opportunity to fly over Blanco River and to observe firsthand uh, what the devastation looks like. And you cannot candy coat it. It's absolutely massive.
1: To give you an idea of just how extreme this event was, in central Texas, the Blanco River rose 26 feet in one hour at 1 o'clock in the morning, sweeping hundreds of homes off their foundations. The city of Houston was overwhelmed by more than 10 inches of rain in just 24 hours on Monday, causing flash floods that inundated the city's flood control infrastructure and major highways and damaged an estimated 4,000 buildings. The irony is that in just a few weeks, this outbreak of extreme storms has swung Texas out of an extreme record drought that has gripped the state since 2011.
0: From record drought to record floods. Now, who in this room has been warning about exactly that for years and years?
1: In India, no end in sight for a record persistent heat wave that has now killed nearly 1,200 people and melted roads in New Delhi, which hit a new record high temperature of 118 degrees Fahrenheit. According to India's state meteorological agency, extreme heat waves in India are now more frequent, increasing by a third since 1960, which they say is a result of global warming.
0: You don't say.
1: In the Arctic, America's northernmost city, Barrow, Alaska, is having a record-hot month of May. Fairbanks, Alaska, broke a new heat record at 77 degrees this week, warmer than Phoenix, Arizona. In Canada's Yukon Territory, a record two-week heat wave is fueling raging wildfires that have Interestingly, shut down tar sands production and forced evacuations of workers in some areas.
0: Well, so there's an upside, I guess.
1: In California, now in its fifth year of record drought, farmers with senior water rights along the Sacramento River say they will voluntarily cut their water usage by 25 percent. It's part of a deal with the state water board to delay deeper mandatory cuts until next year. Is global warming pushing these extreme weather swings? Yes, well, according to science journalist Andrew Friedman of Mashable.com on the broadcast this week, both climate change and a strong El Nino pattern brewing in the Pacific are turbocharging extreme weather. El Nino and climate change, these are both factors that are tilting the odds in favor of a certain outcome. You know, El Nino is a more direct instigator, climate change is a little bit more of an accomplice that sort of is hiding within sight, but sort of in the background.
0: Hiding in the background.
1: Hmm. Finally, President Obama on Wednesday issued sweeping new clean water regulations to restore federal authority to limit pollution in the tributaries, streams, and wetlands that feed into the nation's drinking water supply. The new rules apply to only about 60% of the nation's bodies of water. They're strongly supported by the public, but congressional Republicans, big agriculture, fertilizer and pesticide manufacturers, property developers, and the oil and gas industry have all vowed to defeat the new
0: rules. Of course they have. For much more on all of our stories today and the ones we could not get to, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Download our reports anytime via iTunes, Stitcher, or TuneIn. And find us and follow us on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. From bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. And this has been your Green News Report. (gasps) The nights are cool and yeah. I'm a- That was a hell of a report. uh, We've got uh, so much going on this week that uh, I think there was was some stuff we couldn't even get in. We got about a minute or so left. You you want to wrap off some of the um, items we couldn't get to?
1: Just real quick, um, you know, down in Sao Paulo, Brazil, they are actually running out of water. All of their reservoirs are pretty much gone. And so we're getting to find out what happens when a city of 22 million people runs out of water. Um, And then also what's interesting in Boston, remember this winter, they had those record snows that piled up, you know, 10. 15 feet. Yeah. Now apparently they are in the opposite situation and are developing drought conditions.
0: Unbelievable. Uh, and and yet we still have uh, an entire party, Republican Party, of uh, deniers running for president of the United States. Not, I mean, just take a look at what is going on around you, people.
1: I know this stuff requires response. It requires planning ahead. These kinds of extreme weather events, these swings in extreme weather are not going to get less. They're going to get more. And if we're not prepared for them, they actually cost us more in the long run than just going ahead and paying for resilience and infrastructure now.
0: Not only do they cost us more in the long run, we may not be able to stop it in the long run, no matter how much we spend, no matter how much we pay. Uh, it's only humanity in the balance. No worries. My thanks, as ever, Desi Doyen, our producer, uh, to our booking goddess, Cynthia Cohn, and to my guest today, Montana's Commissioner of Political Practices, John Motel. We will be back with you soon. Until then, you can find us on the Twitters and the Facebook at the Brad Blog. Oh, and if you missed any portion of today's broadcast or any other, you can download it anytime via Stitcher, TuneIn, or iTunes. And, of course, at bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.